This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I heard a little factoid the other day that absolutely floored me about video games in China. And it's this. China has twice as many gamers as the U.S. has people, some 700 million of them. When you go on the streets, when you are waiting at a bus stop, when you're in the supermarket, it's inevitable, especially if you see a kid with his headphone out, he'll be playing a game or she'll be playing a game. That's Brenda Go. She covers technology in China for Reuters. It's pretty much in your face everywhere you go. I mean, it's the world's biggest video games market. That ubiquity, especially among young people, has worried China's central government. So at the start of this month, they banned people who were under 18 from playing video games for more than three hours a week. They could only play from 8 to 9 p.m. on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. And it's not just video games. The government has gone after tutoring companies and big tech players. Brenda calls this the season of crackdowns. They've laid down new ground rules. They've cracked down on a whole whole bunch of sectors, in a sense, to bring them better in line with what they perceive as socialist values. Yes, this is China, so some of this is to be expected. But Brenda says these moves are part of a bigger plan. The authorities have been trying to strengthen their control of over various parts of Chinese society and the Chinese economy. Today on the show, how China's gaming curbs are just the opening salvo in a fight to reshape its youth culture and the internet. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I want to understand kind of the role of of video games in China. Like, before these restrictions started, who was playing? How often were they playing? Like, I guess I'm trying to understand, are these rich kids? Are they poor kids? Is it everybody? It's everybody. If we track back a bit about this whole concern over video games and young people in China, it goes back quite a few years. There used to be quite negative media coverage of these, like, internet addiction camps in China, So it may look like fun and games, but parents will commit, force their kids to this facility for four to six months to break their internet addiction. And around, I would say, 2017, 2018, there were more complaints in society about video 
game addiction and also uh, rising cases of short-sightedness. That's kind of when China started talking about curbing the video games industry. What kind of games are we talking about? I know there's one called Honor of Kings that's, that's really popular. Like, are these multiplayer games? They're sort of, yeah, multiplayer battle royale type of games. I mean, Honor of Kings is essentially is very similar to League of Legends, uh, which is very well known in the in, in the West. These are games where you essentially need to be online the whole time and you need to work with other players, strategize, fight with other clans, protect your territory. It's not a game that has a start and finish, but it goes on for as long as you play it. As I listen to you, it makes me wonder about these increasing restrictions that the central government put on gaming over the years. Kind of as those restrictions tightened, how did teens react to them? And I guess, how do their parents react too? This new rule, an hour a day on, on weekends and on Fridays, these times restrictions that aren't new. Uh, there were already time restrictions that were put in place in 2019 that only allowed young kids to play less than an hour and a half on weekdays and you know three hours on weekends. The thing is that even though there were these restrictions in place, China's video game market is still the largest in the world. The latest gaming curbs are getting a lot of news coverage, maybe in part because Western parents read about them and think they sound kind of appealing. But they fit into this broader attempt by China's central government to change the way teens live. One thing the government has targeted is online fan culture. When they talk about fan culture in China, they're talking about this growth of an industry where, where you have these massive fan clubs that band behind celebrities in, in, in China. I mean, I, I guess it's not that dissimilar to fan cultures elsewhere. Uh, but what, what the government has been really getting un, unhappy about is that they, they say that it's causing a lot of internet disorder. So, for example, on social media, they say that they see fan clubs attacking each other um, on like China's version of Twitter. For example, some of these uh, talent shows, in order to vote for the contestant you, you want to see win or to be able to be made part of the band, you actually have to like buy products in order to be able to cast the vote. So there was a big scandal a couple of months ago where um, fans of this show were filmed like wasting a lot of milk. They were buying milk that was from a sponsor of the show, but then throwing it down the drain. So it was kind of seen as, oh, this is very wasteful. So it's this sort of behaviors that the Chinese government took note of. Is it possible to even know like how much time and money kids are, are spending kind of pumping up their favorite celebrities? There's not really a lot of research done on this specifically, but you see interviews in local media with, with some of these kids that spend a lot of time supporting their, their favorite idol and they, they will say, oh, I spend thousands of dollars a month buying paraphernalia, chasing the star around, around the country. It's not an industry that is to be taken lightly. In August, China's internet regulator banned platforms from publishing lists that ranked celebrities. Because kids were spending hours online trying to game the rankings and then fighting with other fan groups. The government also regulated merchandise sales. And those moves came after another crackdown on the $120 billion online tutoring industry, where kids were getting extra help in school, often from Americans and other Westerners. That move took everybody by surprise. I mean, it was the ferocity of that move in a way. It's very expensive to bring up a child. In China, when you when you compare 
it comes to the costs when it comes to education or just providing life comforts for these kids. So when the government did this, a lot of, it was seen very much as um, they, they want to reduce the amount of stress both parents and children are under. It sounds both like it's about lowering stress, but also maybe kind of lowering some some inequality between the families that can pay for this kind of tutoring and those who can't. There has been some skepticism about whether whether these sort of, you know, the, especially the private tutoring policy, whether it could have an inverse negative effect. Because, for example, when it was first announced, after getting over their disbelief, a lot of parents started going out to look for private tutors. So whether some of this would, would go into sort of the grey market, that, that was one of the big questions that people had. When we come back, the Chinese government isn't just trying to change teen culture. It's also trying to change the internet. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. You're listening to What Next TBD. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and I'm talking with Brenda Goh, who covers technology in China for Reuters. The video game curbs came out last month, but China's technology sector has been under pressure since late last year. You could say that the starting gun for this seasonal regulatory crackdown was when they blocked the Ant Group IPO. The Ant was supposed to list on Thursday and not anymore. The Shanghai Stock Exchange said that it's going to be suspending the listing after the company... That was going to be the world's biggest IPO and that was blocked. Um, and, and from then, you know, regulators in China signaled that we're going to be much tougher on technology companies. We saw numerous fines. We saw punishments, companies being called up for infringing consumer rights, building up monopolies in certain areas. So the video game curbs follows all of that. When you look at the share prices of these companies, you know, recently they're fallen kind of dramatically. But it also feels a little bit like the central government is maybe trying to scale back some of their growth. And I wonder if you think at all there is a recognition that some of the, you know, runaway economic growth of the past 15 years in China had real 
downsides to it? Like, is this just about technology and video games or is it about trying to find a more sustainable economic model? I think what the Chinese government has been saying is that they recognize that there has been some excesses or some, you know, bad practices that have resulted of the growth of these technology companies. For example, they're really concerned about data because a lot of these technology companies, they, they know everything about you, right? Because we, we rely on Alibaba and Tencent's uh, apps and you know, other, technology, other tech companies' apps to manage our everyday lives in China. So the government is worried about consumer rights. There's also concern about the treatment of gig workers in China. China relies a lot on your know, delivery men that, you know, in China is very cheap. It's very, it's very uh, quick to get something delivered. Uh, and over the years, that's, that's been a great growth driver. But at the same time, there's been increasing uh, recognition that a lot of these workers, they don't have the basic protections like insurance. They don't have um, uh, adequate rest period sometimes. You know, a lot of these regulatory curbs are frankly things that I think Western governments would like to impose on their tech companies as well. I mean, yeah, that's the that's the interesting parallels that you see. I mean, a lot of a lot of the discussions that we're having here is not it's not things that you know in the U.S. or in Europe unheard of. For example, in in the U.S. in Europe, there's a lot of chatter as well about regulating the gig economy companies, right? And China's been able been been doing it here as well. So yeah, I mean, it's it's quite fascinating to to look at the global regulatory picture right now and see how that's progressing in different parts of the world. Is it possible to look at some of these changes and get a sense of what the central government or Xi Jinping in particular want for China in the next decade? Or is that is that over kind of oversimplifying? What they've been saying a lot is how they want to bring culture, bring the economy, um, bring these companies back to socialist values. China already has pretty strict censorship policies where, where, where things that are on the internet that are seen to violate socialist values are censored pretty quickly. But what analysts, what China watchers have been, have been observing with the last couple of months of crackdown is there's a lot more of an intentional effort to bring different parts of society, of culture actively into place. I wonder what a, a socialist internet looks like. Like that's such a fascinating kind of way of thinking about it. What could that model actually end up being? On Tuesday, they put out a document. They said were guidelines for the development of what they call a civilized internet or civilized cyberspace. So what what they they outlined in that document was stronger control over content, bad influencers should be dealt with, model workers, model citizens in China should be should be further highlighted. The internet should be used to better spread socialist values. There is a vision for what the internet should be like from Beijing. Brenda Goh, thank you so much. Thanks, Lizzie. Brenda Goh covers technology for Reuters. And that is it for us today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch and Allison Benedict. 
Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. And TBD is part of the larger What Next family. It's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And I want to recommend you go back and listen to Tuesday's episode of What Next. It's about how college professors have just had it with COVID, workloads, pay, everything. What Next? We'll be back next week. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs>